Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. text today is going to be taken from, listen ten, carefully, Genesis 1 from verse 27, okay good, it's out there, to 28, 2, 1 to 8, then verses 15 to 17, and then we'll jump to chapter 3 from verse 17 to 19. I've been directed that at the end of this reading, as you say, this is the word of the Lord, and then you all will respond, thanks be to God, thank you. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every, every living creature that moves on the ground. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no scrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he had put man put the man he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you would certainly die. To Adam he said, because you have listened to your wife and you ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat f- food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tadu, for the reading, and thank you for doing as you have been instructed. Um, so once again, good morning, if you weren't here when I spoke. Uh, nice to see all of us. I kind of have done a bit of an introduction of what we're doing, but I'll just say it again. 
we are in the stage where between September and November, just before um, the Christmas period, the Advent period, we are trying to um, say again, why, who are we as a church? I want to do this through a sermon series. So that's why we call this sermon series a gospel-centered urban church. That's what we would like to identify ourselves as. But, you know, we are in a time where people, sloganeering, people, you, you make a statement, everybody likes it, you put it on a bumper sticker, but nobody really understands what that thing means. And so for us to really understand what that means, we are doing this sermon series. And in those three months, we've divided um, it according to the, uh, to the identity statement. A gospel, so last month we did gospel, a gospel center, then urban, that is our mission field. So this month we're doing mission, church, and therefore this month we're doing, uh, next month we're doing community. So mission, we've spoken about evangelism, taking the gospel out and trying to make disciples of all nations and how that is uniquely done in the context of the city of Lagos, all right? And those two things we've looked at in the last two weeks. But this now, uh, next three weeks, we want to start seeing how people who have the gospel then live in an urban context. Let me start with this. Um, as you know, the Premier League season is, has started, is, is in full swing. Um, Arsenal have started to do their thing again. Uh, like you saw last, uh, last week, you, it's just really just give, give up all hope. That's the way I'll say it. And Manchester seems to be on top. Last time I checked, both, both teams, the Manchester teams, were uh, top of, of the log. Manchester City particularly looking very scary. But Manchester United themselves are not, um, they're not doing very badly. They're not doing very badly. And it reminds me, I happened to live in Manchester for a while. It reminds me of um, a church I was going to, and there was a guy there who went on evangelism. He was preaching to us, and he, he, he went to evangelize. And he got into the city center, and he met a couple of Manchester United supporters. And, you know, they had a couple of laughs, spoke about things here and there, but eventually just told him, well, he's here to talk to him about Jesus. That didn't really get anywhere. So he asked him, he said, look, is there anything, he's asking the United supporter, is there anything you want me to pray about? So United supporter said, well, there's an obvious thing I like. Um, we're playing this weekend, and I'd really like for us to win. And then the evangelist kind of, okay, we're still in the, uh, in, the, in the joking mood, and he kind of laughed it up, all right, fine, fine, no worries, no worries. But really, is there anything serious that you want me to pray about for you? And the United supporter looked at him, and this time his face now became a bit straight. And he said, I said, I wanted us to win. What could be more serious than that? And the guy who was speaking with him actually saw in his face and he thought, this guy actually meant it. He didn't see Manchester United winning as anything that is worth, I mean, you are saying you want to take a huge prayer point before God that can do anything and you want a win. And it's like, are you out of your mind? But the supporter could not understand why he couldn't see that that would be a very, very important thing. What's the problem here? The problem is that they both have two different world views. They see the world differently. Like Topaz's uh, uh, glasses, they are using two different kinds of spectacles. And those spectacles color the way they interpret things in the world. For one, sport and the sport that 
in, in many ways he's grown up with, and maybe his father was also that supporter and has taken him to many of the uh, games, and he's been doing it for decades. For him, sport is religion-like. For the other one, sports, especially um, um, uh, the football, is 20 grown men running around you know, after a piece of round leather and being paid bucket loads of money for it. A bit of harmless fun. Uh, many of the ladies are saying amen. And the husbands are saying, better be careful. They see their world differently. The questions of what meaning is, what morality is, what, how beginning started, and what is destiny, they see it differently. Once you start to answer those questions in different ways, your lens of how you see the world becomes very differently, and how you practice and you know, live your life out is going to be radically different from one person to the other. When we talk about the issue of work, if you think about it, in the city of Lagos, many people think of their work in different ways. Some people hate their job. Some people feel enslaved by it. Some people actually use their work as a way of escape, maybe from their marriage or from many different things in their lives. Others see it as a means of getting to get wealthy, and some use their work to fulfill themselves or to justify their existence. Everybody is wearing a different lens. Because how you view your work depends on the worldview that you've adopted, whether your worldview is conscious or not. Unemployment has risen in the last two years. People's wages have stagnated. And when you say stagnated, that is with the cost of things that are rising. And yet, if you ask somebody who is unemployed or who is really, really feeling strained in their pocket, the issue of Let's say you've not been employed for three years. The issue of not being employed for three years, if you ask that person, is much more than the fact that he cannot afford to you know, pay his rent and he's living off other people. He would tell you that the fact that he can't work, it feels deep. There's something deep that almost challenges his existence. Why? Because from the Christian standpoint and worldview, work isn't just, even though it includes, but it isn't just how you earn what you eat. It's much more deep, deeper than that. So as we think about what it means to be a gospel-centered urban church, we believe that part of being renewed by the gospel is that it causes us to better flourish in our places of work, even when it is a difficult thing. So in that regard, I want us to look at this topic of work's beginning. But I want us to see that if we are going to answer the challenges that work brings to us, it's not going to just be answered by, go to Luke 19, verse 5. And then you can, you can answer this question. In fact, there are many delicate issues that many of us are facing in our work that there is not a Bible verse that quickly answers that. So what we need is to have a biblical worldview. What is a worldview? A worldview is a frame work or a set of fundamental beliefs with which, uh, through which we view the world and our calling and future in it. A framework or a set of fundamental beliefs through which we view the world, our future and our calling in it. And so I want us to, in the next three um, weeks, 
try to see what a biblical worldview would be like so that when we are faced with some of these issues, we will be able to answer them much more because our lenses have been put on, all right? So under that, I'm going to consider three things about the biblical worldview this morning. One, first point, work as value creation. Two, work as calls expression. And three, work as falls redemption. Value creation, calls expression, and falls redemption. So let's take um, the very first point, value creation. Now, in order to understand a biblical worldview about work, one of the things we must get is something that has been termed, you know, we have the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, but there is something called the cultural mandate, the cultural mandate. You know, in Christian circles, the cultural mandate. What is the cultural mandate? Well, the cultural mandate is in verse 28 of chapter 1 of Genesis. But before that, let's read verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then what happened? God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea. In, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What is this cultural mandate all about? Now, to understand what the cultural mandate is about, first look at verse 27. It says that God then created man. He created man. But when he called man, he says he created man how? In his image. Now, if you track the Genesis story in Genesis chapter 1, you see that man was actually the apex of God's creation. When he comes to say, when he says God created man, he was the last creature that God created. Before then, he had been creating all the, uh, many things in six days. And now he comes, and he doesn't say any of those other ones are created in his image. He leaves the last one and then says, this one is created in his image. Now, this image of God that has been created, it says something about it, or him, or her. This image of God means that the creature that is man is unique in representing God in a way that all creatures don't. He is the image of God. He is unique in representing God in a way that all other things that God created don't. Now, this gives him inherent value. It gives him inherent value. Now, but to understand the cultural mandate, let's see some things about this creation that God made. It's not so much a scattergun approach. Now, first of all, this is not a scientific text. It's not saying necessarily that, well, it took six 24-hour days and all of those things. If you want to answer, you want to, uh, an answer on, um, for that, see me during the Q&A. But it is, in one way, trying to show the intentionality of the creation of this particular God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Why? Because around that time, the ancient Israelites lived in a place that now we call the ancient Near East, where we see Palestine, all this Iran, Iraq. It was the ancient Near East. They weren't the only uh, nation that existed then. So you had the Mesopotamians, you had the Egyptians, you had the Sumerians, and each of them had to build a worldview as to how did this whole world come together? So there were competing narratives about how God or the gods 
created the world. So one of them, for instance, does not have a God at the beginning. It had gods. How did man get created? Well, what happened was that these gods were fighting with one another. They were looking for control of the universe. So they fought one another. One god killed the other. And when he killed the other one, his blood, he took his blood, mixed it with clay, and that's how you and I came to be. It was a kind of afterthought. In fact, man got created by accident that was caused by a conflict. Now this, the Israelite God said, no, as he revealed to Moses, this is not how it happened. First of all, he says, in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God. In other words, before creation, God existed, but there was only one God. If you follow as well, one of the other things that it is, is, that is a polemic against the others is, if you notice on day 4, he created the greater light, the sun, the greater light to rule by the day, and the lesser light to rule by the night. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't give those, those, uh, the, the, the sun and the moon names, personal names. Why? Because other, so other texts had their sun and their moon with names because they worshipped them. So in many ways, he is questioning this, the narratives, the polemic against many of the alternative forms. Until today, people that give us different worldviews are always going to start from the beginning. The most popular one now is evolution by natural selection, which says that all of these things happened by random chance. And once you believe that, you have to also believe certain things. It creates your worldview. So here, we are learning about an intentional worldview, an intentional creation that brings about a worldview. Can we put up the slide? So one of the things you see that in Genesis chapter 1, we have, uh, verse 2 especially, we have a problem. A problem, it says that in the beginning, that, that God created the heavens and the earth, but it was without form. It was dark, darkness was over the face of the deep. So there was, an, there was darkness, there was an abyss of water, and there was formlessness. And what God did in his intentional creation was this problem was going to be solved it was going to be solved by God preparing and then populating. There was a problem, but he was going to solve it by preparation and population. And so day one's preparation is populated with day four. Day two's preparation is populated with day five. And day three's preparation is populated with day six. So God solves the issue of darkness. He said, let there be light. And on day four, he now creates the greater light and the lesser light. There's an abyss of water that covers the whole earth. God separates it in uh, the, the, um, the, the waters in, verse, in, in day two. And on day five, he populates the waters. And on day three, he allows form to come with the land. And on day six, he fills the land with the beasts, with the uh, birds, and then with man. So there is intentionality in God's creation. Now, let's go back to the culture of man. Thank you for the slide. Remember what I said. Now, God created this man, and then God now says he should fill the whole earth and multiply. In Genesis 1 verse 31, he says when God created it, everything was good. In fact, he said by 31, he said it was very good. Now, it was very good for the intention of what God had done, but it was not yet complete. The world that was created was very good. It was perfect, but it was incomplete. Now, for it to now get to the end that God wanted it to get to, this man that is now created in his image, 
He's uniquely like God, so he's going to express this image by behaving in a unique way like God. What do you think that way is? In his creative ability. Don't forget, in Genesis 2, verse 2, it says that God's creation, God did what? He created, uh, verse 2, seventh day, God finished from the work that he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. In verse 3, it says that he's, he was creating the whole world, and this is his work. So, too, we see here, God works. In verse 2, he finished the work he had been doing. Again, he rested from all his work. What is God's work? God's work is creation. Now, if this man is created in his image, and he uniquely reflects God like none other creature, if God works, then the man does what? He works as well. So verse 5, you can see, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to do what? Work the ground. So in verse 15, he says, the Lord God made man and put him in the garden needing to do what? To work. Part of the way that we uniquely express God as image of, images of God is that we work. Why? Because God himself We are created in his likeness because he worked, we also work. Or we express that likeness by working because he also works. But don't forget there was something else I said about being in the image of God. Not just the expression, but that it gives us inherent work, uh, worth. Bola is valuable not because of the fact that he's a fantastic engineer. We don't measure Bola's value from the fact that Bola is a fantastic engineer. We measure Bola's value inherently because Bola is created in the image of God. We don't measure Shino's value in his law firm because he's a partner. Then we say the junior ones, they are equal, but they are not all that equal. No. We say all lawyers are equal, but some lawyers, some lawyers, the partner lawyers are more equal than. No, no, no. There is something that equates all human beings, and it is that we're all created in the image of God. That is where we get our value. But guess what? If we all have value, then we express that value by creating value. I'll say that again. If we all have value, then we express that value by creating value. What do I mean by that? Remember we said, the world was perfect, but it was incomplete. So God now calls the man and he says, I want you to do the same thing that I did, only, you know, not exactly in the same way. God started with a problem. A problem, formless, void, darkness, and he made something out of it. God now says to the man, I have given you this world. It is incomplete. Now go and make something of it. And that's what the cultural mandate is about. God says, here is this vast world. And I've created you in my image. Now you are just two. Guess what? For you to take this world to where it's meant to be, you can't just be two. So you know, you know what you need to do? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And as you're doing so, take care of it and subdue. This word subdue there really means, another word you can use to translate it is to fulfill. Take something, take potential and take potential to its end. So when we make something out of supposedly nothing, 
what we are doing is that we are creating culture. Culture basically is to cultivate. Culture, cultivate. We take something that wasn't there. You take it from the root word is from what farmers do. They cultivate the ground. And eventually, you put the seed there. You put all the right conditions. And something then comes out of it. And in the same way, God gives us this raw material in this world. And he told the man, go. Go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and then have dominion over it and subdue it. Take potential and take it to its end. Take cocoa and make it chocolate. I knew. Why, why did you know? How about chocolate drink? Or I don't know. Cocoa butter. You know the problem? I always hated cocoa butter because it smelled very nice and it tasted terrible. Right? It was never meant to be. So you take cocoa and take it to chocolate. Take limestone. You look at limestone. What, why is it there? Ah. You take it to cement. Take sound and turn it into music. Take colors and turn it into paintings. Take fabrics and turn it into clothes. Take computing and turn it into apps. Isn't Uber a blessing? It's not a blessing. It's taxify a blessing. How for you? This is what it means to do the cultural mandate. Here's one of the problems that we face. What is money? What's money? Money is not a valuable thing. You know that. Money is not a valuable thing. Money is a measure of value. When God says you should fulfill the cultural mandate, he's saying create value. If you create value, there is a measurement of what that value is. And when we need to exchange value from my value to your own value, we use an exchange mechanism, which is what? Money. Here's the problem. Many people are chasing the measure of value, and they're not creating value with their work. Some people want to make money, and that's why sometimes you go into schemes. Somebody gives you this scheme. They say, I will just pour this money. Just put your money inside this thing. Don't worry. How does it come out? I don't know, but it will just come out. That doesn't make any sense. That was the problem with MMM. MMM, you were not creating any value. You were just moving money. Moving money does not create any value. It just makes the money move. And it moves from one person to another person to another. And then eventually the whole thing bottoms up. When we create value, the value has measured. That is how we get money. So when I buy Cypress from Kemi, Kemi has taken all these fruits. She has used her talent to choose the fruits that are sweet. Because you know that thing requires talent. Have you never bought orange? That you, the orange looks fantastic. You went to kiss the orange. You started slapping your mouth. It is talent. So Kemi brings... Her God-given ability chooses those juices, processes it. She has created value, packages it in a, in a bottle, and then I bring my own money that I have obtained through whatever value I have created, whatever that is. <laughs> and we exchange value for value. The cultural mandate is to take these raw materials that are in this world and create value. This is why Jesus in Luke 19 used a parable of the lazy, wicked servant. He is seen as wicked and lazy. Now, this is not the main point of the parable, but at least we can see that he 
taking the thing that was given to him, and he did not return an investment, God frowned at that. Because God is an investor. Don't hate investor, investor, investment bankers. Say amen. <laughs> because what did God do? God said, I have put two human beings in this vast world, and I expect to see something great come out of it. So focus on creating value. It is a call that God has called us to. So that's the first thing that we want to see about the biblical worldview of work. The way God created this world, he had man in mind. And when he created man, he had the world in mind. Create value from the things that are out there. Second thing, cause expression. Another thing that emerges from the, what we see in this text about what work is, is that work is a call. Work is a call. It's a response to, or rather a response to a call or the expression of a call by God. Now, I should say something very quick about that call. It's not just any call, but it is a dignifying priestly call. A dignifying priestly call. Now, notice I say it's a call. Why? Because it's not just you that chooses it. In verse, in verse 8, in verse 5 to 8, we see it says, No shrub had yet appeared on the earth. Why? Because there was no man to work the ground. Immediately after that, then he says that God created man. There was a problem. There was no one to work the ground. He didn't choose the animals. Then God created man. And what did God then do? It wasn't Adam that walked to the garden. Adam did not make himself a farmer. God carried him and then put him in the garden and said, work the ground. In other words, Adam, when he was tilling the garden, he was responding to God's call in his life. The first thing you have to remember about this call is that your work in the world is that it is God that calls you there. Far too often you hear this person and say, ah, how are you now? What are you doing now? Man, ah, how's the banking? Can I, I, I was, oh, but I got, I got the call. Ah, yeah, you're serving in ministry now. That's what it means. So all the while he was working, I've heard this many times, ministry is not, uh, is not a job. It's a call. It's wrong on two levels. It's wrong on two levels. Let me first tell you, I'm a ministry. It's a job. Huh? It is a job. Then let me tell you the other thing. For those who are not in ministry, it is a call. Now, ministry is both a call and a job. And whatever you're doing is also a call and job. But the main thing is that what you are called to, your job is basically where you express the call that you have been called to. Right? So uh, Femi, right, works in a place called Exchange. Have you exchanged the Exchange or something like that? Exchange, right? But Femi is called as a businessman and as an engineer. But his job is in exchange. It's the environment where he lives out his call. But here is the point. It is God's call. It's not you. And therefore, if you are responding to God's call, guess what your work is? It's a form of worship. Your teaching job is not, here is my teaching job in the world. That's a job. When I come and I teach the children in, 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 in church, that's my ministry, my call. If this world is created by God, and God is the one that is trying to bless the world because it causes the rain to fall both on the just and the unjust, then God is the one that's called you into his service. 
your work is a form of worship to God. Now, second thing, it's a call. The second thing is I said it is a priestly call. It's a priestly call. You see, in verse 2, verse, in verse 15 of chapter 2, it says, God put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Hebrew word work it and take care of it, that pairing is used a lot of times. But primarily, if you go through the Old Testament, it is used for the priests that serve in the tabernacle. So if you open to Numbers, you don't have to open that, just read it for you. But Numbers chapter 3, verse 7, it says, they, that's the priests that come from the tribe of Levi, they are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to take care, that word, of all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligations of Israel by doing the work of the tabernacle. So when he says that we are to work it and take care of it, your service, that call, is also a priestly service. What I mean by that is this. God created humanity, and God continues to bless humanity. Again, the Father causes rain to fall both on the wicked and, and the um, what? And the unjust. Hitler ate food, right? Samuel Doe, uh, rain fall, fell on him. Abacha had a nice bed to live on. And God is sovereign over all of that. Now, what he's saying is that he has created image bearers, and through those image bearers, he wants to bless other image bearers. But he does it through priests. Priests are mediators, people that mediate God's blessing to others. They are in the middle. So when you take whatever you do, you have to see it as you are mediating God's blessing. Now, sometimes it's hard. It doesn't seem meaningful. What if you're a truck driver? Like this guy here, Biodun. Let me read Biodun's story to you. Biodun drives a truck. He primarily delivers food from the northwest to the southwest along the major highway linking Sokoto and Lagos. Not only does it get incredibly hot in his vehicle, the lack of maintenance of the truck puts him at risk to some kind of terrible malfunction. We have not even begun taking into account his numerous brushes with the corrupt highway policemen. Short of feeding his family, Biodon sees very little value or meaning to his work. How do you solve, what, what do you say to someone like this? Because you're just going to say, at the end of the day, well, you know, at least he's trying putting food on the table. It's really hard. Now, what Biodon needs to realize is that the driver who transports Food is as essential to the food chain as the farmer who grows it or the mother who prepares it. Without people like Beodun delivering tomatoes from the south, uh, some tomatoes to the southwest hub, there would be there could be a food crisis that would stifle the innovation and creativity of the urban class in Yaba Khan Valley. I mean, we, all, we had a national crisis two years ago because of tomato shortage. Remember, yeah. right? Bookers were in trouble. Let me tell you something. If bookers close, because if bookers don't get their tomato in this country, our GDP will go down like this. People will not, they will not write apps. Your bank apps will malfunction. There will be criminals all over. Why? Because people need to have their wonderful ayamashe soup. OK, no, you can't use ayamashe in uh, ayamashe. You don't use uh, tomato, right? Maybe. No, you don't. OK, all right. You get the point. Without him, the farmers in the north also 
will have little to live on since they will lose out not being able to sell to the lucrative markets in the Southwest. Biodun is absolutely vital in God's plan to flourish his people in the country of Nigeria. Guess what? He is God's priestly delivery man. God calls us to serve. Our work has meaning because we are serving other people. Now, I want to quickly run through. Um, if you see how God created, there were two things that you could see there. He was creating, but he was also ruling. He was bringing order out of chaos. Now, from the creation bit, there are different kinds of work. So depending on where, what we do here. But the, from the creation one, you can get creative work and revelatory work. Revelatory work is because when he was creating, he said, and God said, and God said. So how are you like God in that regard? Well, creative work is God's fashion of the physical and human world. That includes actors, painters, musicians, tailors, entrepreneurs, interior designers, builders, designers, and contract and architects. When you do that, you are uniquely reflecting God. What about revelatory work? God's work to enlighten with truth. Preachers, hello, scientists, educators, journalists, scholars, and writers. But also, God rules as well. And that leads us to providential work and justice work. Providential work and justice work. God, providential work is God's provision for sustaining of humans and creation. God not, did not only create the world, he sustains and preserves the world. So he works through his providence. This will include stay-at-home mothers. Stay-at-home mothers. Stay-at-home mothers. For those that say that they're a disgrace, that person is a disgrace. Policy makers, farmers, repairmen, transport workers, IT specialists, bankers, civil servants, and engineers. They keep the order. Let me tell you something. If we don't have stay-at-home mothers, who are going to raise our kids? When those kids become, become poor, they'll be thrown out into the society. They start having baby mamas, uh, uh, mom like eight baby mamas all around there. Those baby mamas will have children that they can't raise because they don't have farmers. Eventually, those children become, what, criminals to the society. And then we cannot live in any security. And the stay-at-home mother is a disgrace. Justice work. God's work to enlighten with truth. Judges, lawyers, paralegals, government regulators, prison wardens, policy researchers, law professors, diplomats, and police, police officers. I know when you hear police officers, like, ah, well. <laughs> in the best sense. So it's priestly service. And the last thing I want to say, don't forget, it is not just a priestly call, it's God's dignifying priestly call. You see, Biodun's larger story, when you put Biodun's story in the larger context, it provides Biodun with what we can call subjective or functional dignity. What do I mean? Every human being, Lolade, Ore, a Queen, a, a Fulayo, every human being, no matter what job they, they do, they are worthy of dignity. Why? Because they are created in the image of God. That is an objective truth. It's not something that whether you feel it or not, it's not. they should be accorded with dignity because they have infinite value. Now, but there's something, there's a difference between something that is objectively true and something that you feel that is true. When Biodun hears how he serves in the larger food chain, he can feel dignity. And sometimes in us, that's the problem. We don't feel the dignity. So let me give you one more story. Priye. Priye landed a job. She's a recent actual uh, graduate. 
And she landed a job with a large HMO. You know what HMOs are, health maintenance organizations, right? So with a large HMO corporation right out of university. She spent all of her, she spends all of her days crammed up in a tiny cubicle working numbers of spreadsheets to set price points for health insurance products that seem very abstract to her. Just putting numbers in blah, blah, and it seems very abstract to her. For her, the work seemed very unpleasant, very unpleasant and also meaningless. I'm staying in front of a screen 40, 48 weeks of a year just trying to crunch, uh, crunch numbers to set price points for um, for an insurance product. Then one day, she visited one of her company's medical providers and then overheard two men talking about one of the products she worked on. If it were not for that 30% drop in their elite product, I would never have been able to afford it. Who knows what would have happened to my son because our previous level did not cover his operation costs, said the first one. And the other one replied, God is good, though. You see, this was an epiphany for her. It hit me, Priya said. These products are lifelines for people. Crunching these numbers and staring at these spreadsheets, even when I don't feel like it's God's means of saving people's lives. I realized my work made a significant deal to that man's family. Priya realized she was loving these neighbors at work, but she also felt dignity in the supposed abstract labor of manipulating spreadsheets. When we see meaning, when we see that our work is a call to priestly service, where we can set it in the larger context of God wanting to bless humanity, we not only know objectively that we are dignified, we can feel that dignity even when things are very difficult. This is really important because we are forced with pressures that always wants us to see our work in economic means alone, through economic lenses alone. Now, don't get me wrong. Value creation shows that our work is a way through which we earn and we eat and we clothe ourselves and all of that. That is one of the parts of the worldview. But the worldview is not totally, wholly an economic one. Because if that were the case, it's only the consultants in the hospital that will go smiling. What about the nurses that are not paid as good as them? See your work in the wider context of the larger service. Finally, some of us will say that, well, that all sounds hunky-dory. That is not the real world that we live in. Things are very, very difficult. I don't know whether I can think about it like that, Femi. Let's be realistic. Well, I want to be realistic because the Bible is realistic. We don't have to go away from the Bible because the Bible says if you follow this narrative from the beginning, you will see that something interrupts this whole narrative and totally turns it upside down. 3 verse 6, it says that the woman ate. It was the woman that ate first, just by the way. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And you run to verse 17. It says, to Adam, this is chapter 3, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Curse is the ground for you, ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food and all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the 
plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So now I'm looking at our third point, false redemption. What I've just narrated was what we call the fall. The man wanted to be like God. And so God, who set the rules of, because in, in chapter 2, he said, don't eat from this tree. But he went and ate the tree. If it's God's call, God is the one that sets the rules and the conditions. All of a sudden, the man now wants to behave like he can actually call the shots. And this changes the narrative. It introduces God's curse. And that is why work is hard. That is why it is frustrating. That is why in your, in your attempt to create value, you don't always create value. That is why people cheat. That's why it doesn't always seem meaningful. And so there's an alternative. Well, Femi, Genesis 1 and 2 is really nice. But we live in light of Genesis 3. All right? It is a dog-eat-dog world out there. If I don't try and eat people, they will eat me. And also, it is a, the end justifies the means. As long as this person is doing good, why are we complaining that he cheated a few people along the way? As long as I'm able to make the money and I'm able to give to charity, what's your stress? And look at, look at the blessing here. Look at this wonderful organization. Look at the people are happy. They're actually getting their salaries. What have, what's wrong with a couple of kickbacks here and there? That's one alternative. Maybe we should adopt the worldview of survival, since that's what we're up against. I mean, you said it yourself. The Bible says that the ground is cursed. So let's live as those who are cursed. I'll respond three ways. It's a no, and I'll give you three reasons why. No, we shouldn't do that. Why? One. God cursed, notice, God cursed the conditions for work. God did not curse work. He cursed the conditions for work. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In fact, he even says, you will still eat out of it, but it will now be with much difficulty. Work is still important. Work is still valuable. Work is still inherently good, but the conditions have changed. Now, because the conditions have changed, number two, the storyline of work didn't change. It is just only that it's become a bit more complicated. And number three, the most important reason is God has addressed the issue of the fall. God has addressed the issue of the fall. How? He continued working. He worked to create, and now there was a fall. So what does God do? He decides to work again. What do I mean? There was a first man that God created, and that man was created in his image, and that man messed up. And that's why we have these conditions that are very bad. But in Hebrews 1, verse 3, there's another man, he tells us, he says, this man is the express, oh, that's King James, sorry. This man is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. There is a second man. Other places he said, the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. God created one man, that man messed up. And God says, you know what, I'm going to get to work again. And now there's another man that is coming. And that man is God himself that becomes a man. In fact, that man, when he comes in, he doesn't come on a holiday. He first starts off as a carpenter, Mark 6 verse 3. But that was just preparation for the real work he was going to do. 
In John 5, verse 17, he says this. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. The God-man continued to work. What was this work that he was going to do? Well, the work that he was going to do when he was referring here is the work of redemption. It was the work that reversed the consequences of what the other man failed to do. Notice God cursed the ground and he said thorns and thistles will come out. Well, Jesus on the cross had thorns that were made for him as a crown. And he did that so that he could crown us with glory and honor. And not only did he do that, after he finished on the cross, he then sent his spirit to us to make us new creatures, just like him when he resurrected. Why is that important? Remember that when God created, he gave the cultural mandate. Well, when Jesus resurrected and was ascended, he gave another cultural mandate. The first one, God said, go, fill the whole earth and multiply. Jesus then says to his disciples, after his risen, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Now you are new creations when the spirit comes upon you. So you two now go into all the world and multiply. How do you multiply? You make disciples of all nations. So God is now filling the whole world. Why evangelism is important is God is filling this new world with this spiritually resurrected new creation people. And when these new creation people enter into the workplace, they go with a new identity. The third thing that adds to our worldview, the first was value creation, the second one is the call, the third thing is now the gospel. The gospel is important because we are not just working in light of Genesis 1 and 2. The gospel is God's God's, uh, uh, response to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And so he gives us a new power. He gives us a new identity. We don't just work as what Adam did. We now follow in Jesus Christ. So because of Jesus' redeeming redeeming work, the end doesn't always justify the means. We cannot use people even if it benefits us. We should be willing, just as Jesus Christ, to sacrifice. You see, what the gospel adds to our worldview is what we can call gospel innovation. And what do I mean by that? What's innovation? Innovation basically is a response to a problem when you have limited means. Right? You have limited means. I say, ah, how we do this thing? How we, let's say there's a problem here with the AC. How do we unscrew this thing? And we don't have screwdriver. So what's innovation? Get a fork. And then you start unscrewing the thing. With limited means, you are still able to achieve a certain, with certain constraints. And so many of us are in working environments here that things are hard. There is a contract that is before you here. You have changed. You worked for that contract all your life. And now it's finally with you. And somebody says 10%. What do you do? Well, the gospel says that you have to follow another way. Sometimes it may mean that you have to walk away. And that's difficult. You say, Femi, you don't understand. I understand. Or God understands. It's difficult. And that's what we are called to do. Because it costs Jesus difficulty on the cross. But sometimes I don't want you to take the easy way out. Because sometimes some of us want to just say, I'm a Christian, I can't do this. Well, innovation sometimes means that you can work your language in such a way that you can, the person that's asking to be pleased by bribe could be pleased in other ways that will not defile your moral character. In other words, let the moral constraints of the Bible put you in check 
But that doesn't mean you cannot think through as a gospel-centered person, how do I continue to bless? How do I continue to create value even in this cursed world? Because Jesus, through the cross, brought blessing. We are now still called that even in a cursed world, we are still meant to bring blessing. How will we see spiritual renewal in our city? We'll see spiritual renewal in the place of our work because God transforms people by the gospel. People that want to create value. People that see their call as a priestly service, a form of worship. But people who are not just renewed by the gospel's power, but also they innovate because of the gospel's constraints. It's not always going to be an easy answer, verse this, verse that, that thing. But it also means that as we submit ourselves to God, many times through prayer, asking for wisdom, or asking for him to change people's hearts, we can and will see spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. This is the work's beginning. Next week, we'll look at work's present, and the week after, we'll look at work's future. But get this. God is sending you outside to make a difference. But you only make that difference if you are gospel-centered. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the light that it brings. We thank you, Lord God, for the darkness that is dispelled from by it. We thank you, O God, for the hunger that it fills us. Lord God Almighty, as you send us out, as we think of our various vocations, as we think of the value that we bring to the world, Father, help us to not be discouraged by the challenges that we face, but help us to be renewed renewed by the gospel, by your spirit's power, that as we fulfill the new cultural mandate, that we will not be found wanting. Help us to be your agents of redeeming change in a world that is crying out for your people. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.